Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. All of us love a great story, don't we? A really well-told, fantastic story. Whether it's a book or a TV show or a movie, great stories just captivate us and compel us. And I think one of the things that makes a truly great story great is when there's a great character transformation. When a character starts out as one thing and over the journey of the story, they become something else, something better. One of my favorite movies has such a character transformation story in it. And it is underrated how good of a character transformation story it is. Uh, 1993... Bill Murray, Andy McDowell, Groundhog Day. (laughs) Groundhog Day is a great movie. And I'm telling you, the character transformation in this movie is really, really good. If you haven't seen it, it's 30 years old. What are you guys doing? Seriously. (laughs) But if you haven't seen it, this is the basic idea. Bill Murray plays a weatherman who is arrogant, selfish, narcissistic, doesn't care about anything but himself, and treats the people around him like dirt. And he gets assigned to go with his producer, who's played by Andy McDowell, and the cameraman to go to Punxsutawney to cover the groundhog ceremony. And things get a little strange when he finds himself stuck in Groundhog Day. Every day he wakes up, no matter what happened, and it's February 2nd, and he's in Punxsutawney for Groundhog Day. Now, After getting over the shock of this, he does what you'd expect the selfish, narcissistic person to do. He goes wild. He does whatever he wants. He eats anything he wants. He does anything, says anything. He tries to pick up every girl in the town. He's driving his car on the the train tracks, whatever he wants. Until he finally decides that he wants his producer, played by Andy McDowell. And so over days and days, he tries over and over again to win her over, only to be shot down day after day after day because he's not the right type of guy. He hasn't developed yet. And so then he goes into this deep depression, tries to end it all, including like having a groundhog drive him off a cliff. But afterwards, when he's tried absolutely everything else, He finally comes around to the idea that maybe he needs to work on who he is, to work on himself. And as he does this, he starts to understand his purpose, that maybe his purpose isn't all about him. Maybe it's about improving himself so that he can be there for the people of this town. And it turns out that that is his ticket out of Groundhog Day. And one of the reasons why I love the story so much is that character transformation, that journey from one thing to another. And the reason why stories like this resonate with us is because we are called for the same thing, to participate in that same journey, to move from maturity to immaturity, from immaturity to maturity. That's the right way. (laughs) And as we do that, in a spiritual realm. This is called spiritual maturity. And that process of becoming, 
more spiritually mature. We call it discipleship. If you were with us a number of weeks ago when we were in our Hebrew series, Pastor Doug talked about milk versus solid food in that one particular story. The Hebrews were supposed to be growing and advancing and maturing in their faith, yet they were still spiritual babies. Now, if we're followers of Jesus, we are called to go on this journey, moving towards more maturity in our understanding of faith and in our living out of our faith. And this maturing process is something we call discipleship. And at Crossroads, we have a specific discipleship process that's designed to help us go on this journey. And it involves three specific words, worship, serve, connect. And each step taken along this journey into one of these areas represents movement on that journey towards spiritual maturity. And last week, Pastor Doug talked about serving. So if you hadn't heard that one, check out our podcast and go back. It's really worth hearing. But for the next two weeks, we're going to take a look at the connect step. How do we mature in our faith by connecting with others? What does it look like to grow in maturity through connecting, specifically with connecting in groups? Now, when we look to try and become something or to model something, it can be really difficult to do if we don't have a clear picture of what it looks like. To give you an example, when I was in high school, I participated in something called Science Olympiad, which is basically uh, you go to Dickinson College, schools from all over come in, and they compete in different science-related things. It was all the stuff you did in like science class in high school. You can make Rube Goldberg machine or one of those egg drops where you see if you can have an egg survive. But one of the things I participated in was an event called Write It, Do It. And basically, there was two partners from each school. Partner number one would go into a room, and all of us would be sitting around there, and they'd put an object in the center of the table. And this partner would have to write a description of this object, as detailed as possible. When they were done, partner number ones would leave, partner number twos would come in. They'd be given a kit and the description their partner wrote now. And then would have to assemble this object based on their partner's description. So when I was doing this, and I'm trying to assemble this based on what the, my partner put together, I'm working at it, I'm diligent. I look up, not a single one of these objects looks anything close to one another. It's so, so difficult. And the point here is that it's hard to model or create something when you don't know what it's supposed to look like. So that's where our passage of Scripture is going to come in today. In it, it's going to demonstrate to us what it looks like to display spiritual maturity in connecting. So let's jump in. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5, verse 17. Now, this is a story from early in Jesus' ministry. Jesus had gotten a reputation for healing, and he was starting to draw large crowds. And in this instance, something really unique is about to happen. So let's start in verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. So a paralyzed man carried on a mat arrives at this house where Jesus was. 
Now to understand what's going on here, you have to have the context of what it was like to be a paralyzed man in this time. It was way, way worse 2,000 years ago. And aside from just the physical problems, this type of condition carried with it a social stigma. There was a belief in this society that if you had this type of physical ailment, something like this that was wrong with you, it meant either you had a sin problem or your parents had a sin problem. John 9 is a great example of this if you want to look that up later. But he was in this condition for a reason, or so the society believed. Now as a result of that, there wasn't a lot of compassion to be had. He would have been ostracized and disowned by his family. There was no social safety net around. And he had to rely on begging his whole life. There was no hope for someone like this. He would be destined to live a hard, terrible life of misery and deprivation. And there was absolutely nothing he could do about it. Now he heard about Jesus. Jesus could represent hope, but he has that problem. He has no way of getting to him. It just seems like every single thing is stacked up against this guy. All the obstacles are against him. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that way in life? Like everything is just stacked up against you. Everything is constantly going wrong. Each one of us has and will face seasons of our lives when we feel helpless. When finding our way through just seems impossible. When it just seems like finding our way to Jesus is hopeless. Maybe it comes through a sudden financial crisis and your world is torn up. Maybe you've been going through a medical hardship for such a long time and it just doesn't seem to end. Maybe you've experienced deep betrayal by someone close to you and you're not sure what to do with it. Maybe you experienced a trauma and you're just beginning to feel the effects of everything that came as a result of that. Maybe you're in a season where you've just had so many significant life changes that you're not even sure which way is up and how to get your bearings. Maybe it's been a death in the family and now your world looks entirely different. We understand in our own way what it feels like to have difficult seasons, to have struggles, and sometimes it just feels hopeless, like we'll never get out. It would have felt like that for this paralyzed man. Except for one thing. The paralyzed man had something that most others did not. He was connected. He was connected to a group. Verse 8 says, Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Enter his friends, his group. His group steps in for him in a way that he couldn't. They transport him around. He had people in his life that were literally carrying him to Jesus in his moment of need. Without being connected to a group, he doesn't get to Jesus. His group stepped in in his hour of need. They bridged the gap that existed between him and Jesus. 
Now, there's way more going on here than what we might think. This is actually a great example of spiritual maturity. Look at what the paralyzed man did here. He recognized his own personal need. He understood that he couldn't do it alone. He was connected to a group. And then he allowed his group to actually help him. See, he was humble enough to understand he needed help and humble enough to let others help him. Now you could say, of course he did. He was desperate. How could he not recognize this condition? Well, you'd be surprised. If we're judging by our own experience, how often are we really that good at recognizing our own need and letting other people help us? For example, how many of you won't go to the doctor? How many of you won't go to the doctor? Admit it, you won't go to the doctor. Now, I've had a few instances where I've had this problem too. Uh, a number of months ago, I was at the gym and we were doing box jumps, which is basically a 30-inch wooden box. And our job is jump up and down off this box. And at one point, it was, I've done like 50 of these things. I was tired and it was near the end of the workout. And my foot slipped and I caught the edge of the box right on my shin. And it just cut a gash right in my shin. It was nasty. And I looked at it, it bled. You know, Jess is like, you probably should go get it looked at. I'm like, ah, I'm looking down at it. It's like, it looks fine. It looks like, okay, it's just a cut. Well, a week and a half later, it still hadn't healed. And I'm looking at, okay, we got a problem here. So finally, I agree to go to the doctor. The doctor's like, you should have been in here day one getting this thing stitched up. This is in bad shape. In fact, I'm going to have to send you to the wound doctor. I'm like, really? A wound doctor? <laughs> so hundreds of dollars later, I have wound care for this thing for it to finally heal like two months later. It was ridiculous. All because I wouldn't go to the doctor right away. But this is part of that idea. Immaturity in the face of our own need responds with pride. We deny there's anything wrong. I'm just fine how I am. I don't need help. I don't need to listen to anybody. I don't need advice. How many times have you or someone you know refused to admit there was a problem, refused to admit you're struggling, refused to accept offers for help, feel like you've got to uphold that image of everything is okay? I don't need anyone. I can do it on my own. We believe, for some reason, that accepting help is a sign of weakness. Maybe you're someone, someone like me who stands up here who like, we feel like we have to maintain an image that we've got everything going on. Or some of us just wait to the last possible minute to ask for help, sometimes when it's way too late. We don't acknowledge that there's issues in our marriage. We don't see how our bad decisions or our character flaws have gotten us into messes. It's pride. But that immaturity of pride also can show up as false humility. We just say, you know what, I, I just don't want to be a burden on other people. I don't want to bother other people with my problems. It does, I just don't want to be a bother. That's pride too. Sometimes we need to understand 
that we are the man on the mat. And what are we moving towards? What does maturity look like in the face of our need? Have you ever seen little kids play soccer? It's a very different game than actual soccer. The ball comes and there's just like this bee cloud just following the ball all over the field wherever it goes. It's crazy. But if you watch mature soccer, everyone's spaced out. The ball is passed all over the place. How do they get there? There's a lesson that's in almost every single soccer coach probably knows this. If you've played it, you've probably experienced this. You take the fastest kid on the team, you line him up, coach takes a ball, and they tell him, run out to the center line as fast as you can. The kid takes off, the coach just takes the ball, kicks it, it flies past the, the kid running, gets to half field first. And he said, look, what's faster, you or the ball? The ball is. And the object here is simple. Pass the ball. You need other teammates. You need to learn to use the rest of your team. Maturity is understanding that you were designed to do life and faith with a group. You were not designed to do it alone. See, mature believers understand. They will have hard times of struggle. They can't do it on their own. They need a group. And they need to let their group help them. We need people in our lives who will step up for us in ways that are both small and big. Mature believers understand that we were designed for groups. Now, we've got to see how the rest of the story plays out. But I want you to look at the rest of the story through a different perspective. I want you to look at it through the lens of his friends, the people carrying the mat. Because there's another lesson here on our journey towards maturing in spiritual connection. So let's take a look back in verse 18 again. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. So these men are carrying this man on a mat. What are they doing? They're in the middle of the day carrying a paralyzed man through a crowd on a mat. Now, we don't really understand all the details or all the exact specifics around this situation. So for the sake of understanding, let's get a little creative here. Let's, let's, let's put a little uh, creativity into what might have been going on. Say you're one of, these, one of these men. It's a Saturday afternoon. You're walking to a local market to get your daily food. You have a busy day ahead with lots of plans, housework, projects, kids, and as you walk, you pass the paralyzed man. He's, he's someone you know. He's a friend of yours. And he tells you that he's heard that Jesus is in town. And he's heard that he's been healing people. But it's all the way across the other side of town. And you know he has no way of getting there. You can hear the desperation in his voice. His longing for some kind of hope. And in that moment, you have a choice to make. 
On one hand, you have your day, the day that you planned out, the responsibilities that you have, all the things you hope to accomplish. On the other hand, you have a potential afternoon of back-breaking lifting, fighting crowds, all for the glimmer of hope that your friend might get to see Jesus. See, being friends with this man would not have been easy. It came with a price. Anywhere you go with him, you'd have to carry him. And there was time costs involved. There was physical burden costs involved. There was no hope this guy was ever going to be able to reciprocate to you. There was a lot of inconvenience. That was the nature of their relationship. I had a friend who, even significantly into our adulthood, he did not have a driver's license. And he lived in Ephrata, and I live in Lancaster. Anytime he wanted to hang out, I had to drive to Ephrata, pick him up, take him wherever he wanted to go, and then eventually drive him back. Every single time. There was inconvenience involved in this, believe me. So again, I ask you, why were they doing this? The reason is that they had something to offer that this man needed. They had strength to share. They had something that he did not have in that moment. See, we were designed for groups because each one of us has something to offer that someone else needs. We were designed for groups because there are people out there who need our help and need what we have to offer. This is our purpose. We've all been carried. We've all needed help. Our purpose now is to carry others. This is our role as believers, to carry each other's burdens. Each of us needs to be the one who does the carrying, to do what it takes to get people to Jesus. This group was willing to do absolutely whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. And it would not be easy. Look at what these guys went through. Back to verse 19. They tried to get him to Jesus, and they could not find a way because of the crowd. So they went up on the roof carrying this guy, lowered him down on a mat through the tile. So they're digging apart the roof, okay, in the middle of this crowd, and then lower this guy down at the feet of Jesus. Okay, this is talk about some creative destruction right here. This is creative destruction. But they weren't going to be stopped. They were not going to let anything keep them from getting their friend to Jesus. Each one of us needs this type of relationship, these type of people who will stop at nothing to help us get to Jesus. But each one of us is designed to be that person, to be that person for others. This is part of our understanding and our growth in our spiritual maturity around connecting. It is our purpose because people need somebody who cares about them. You need to use your strength to help others, to carry people to Jesus, to step into those gaps in the moment where people can't do it on their own. That's what we're built for. Now, immaturity tells us that, you know what? I'm just going to focus on my relationship with God. Just me and God. I'm just going to worry about myself. I'm just going to worry about my family. I'm just going to worry about our schedule. I've got a lot going on. I don't really have time to carry a burden. 
Or maybe we just look at it and say, you know what, I, just, I don't see what I get out of being in groups. I, I just can't see what I can get out of it. But we need to work towards maturity. It's easy to fall into those traps. Maturity says, I need to be in a group because I have something to offer. I need to be in a group because I have strengths to carry others' burdens. I need to be in a group because I am willing to go above and beyond for other people. I'm willing to do what it takes to get people to Jesus. Maturity understands that it's not all about us. We were designed for groups because people need what we have to offer. And we need to share it. So we have to finish the story. We have to finish the story and get to the end here. What was the result of this? What was the result of these two displays of relational maturity? What we see here in the rest of the story represents kind of the best case scenario, the ultimate result. So let's look back at verse 20. It says this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks this blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, so he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home, praising God. What was the result? Well, for the paralyzed man, his humility and his willingness to let others help him in his need and desperation leads him directly to the feet of Jesus. And he has his sins forgiven. He is now in right standing with God. And what's more than that, he gets healed. He leaves there on his own two feet. His life is never going to be the same. He would be changed forever, in part because of his group. Now, what, what was the results for the friends? These friends got a front row seat Actually, probably more like a balcony seat at this point. To watch their friend get to Jesus. I love the line here where it says about Jesus, when he saw their faith. When he saw their faith. Jesus was just as motivated by the faith of the friends as he was by the faith of the man. Did you think about that? These guys were active participants in motivating Jesus to act on behalf of their friend. And there's a principle in this. Each one of us has a role to play in the spiritual lives of others. What else? They got to witness a miracle. Their friend picked up his mat and walked out the door. New life with Jesus. New hope for the future. And they got to be an instrumental part of that development. Verse 26 says this. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. 
You know, I often wonder about that relationship. What was it like after that day? Can you imagine what the relationship was like between these guys? How much closer do you think they were as a result of this? I also like to think that there was a time later down the road where one of the people who carried that mat went through something hard and difficult and the paralyzed man got to return the favor and be there to support one of their friends. That would have been a remarkable moment. Each one of us in our lives will have times when we need to be carried and times when we need to carry others. These are the type of relationships that help us grow, mature, and find purpose. And they don't happen in a vacuum. And they don't happen by accident. We're going to talk more about that next week. But these are the relationships we develop in groups because we were designed for groups. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we understand that each one of us is going to go through times in our lives where we struggle, where we're in desperate need, where we need others to step up for us. God, help us to be willing to form those connections and make the connections necessary to have the relationships and then to allow people to help us. And God, help us to mature in our understanding that each one of us has something to offer other people. And part of our design, part of our purpose is to step into the lives of other people and use our strengths to help others to carry their burdens the depth of relationships that can result when this goes well, when we do what we need to do, God, is something that helps us grow, that helps us mature. God, allow us to open our lives up to connecting, to growing closer to you by connecting to others in groups, God. In your name, amen. Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at crbic.org. That's crbic.org.